So we're up to chapter 23. And chapter 3 comes as a continuation of what we were trying to get in our heads before. And that is that we're trying to make it so real to ourselves to understand that these two mitzvahs of the first two of the Ten Commandments, I am God your God, and you shall have no other gods besides me, these are the entire Torah. These two mitzvahs that we would never transgress, so a person says, okay, so their whole life they were doing bad things, God forbid, and they were stealing, and they were being unfaithful, and they were lying, and they were not eating kosher, and then all of a sudden it came to the moment of truth, bow down to the idol, or choose God, or die, and they say, no, they choose God and they'll die. You think, what's the matter with this person? What, what kind of, such a dissonance going on? But what was happening is that they were not in touch with their truth the whole, their whole life. And all of a sudden, when they got faced with this moment of choose God or die, they realized God is their life and they would rather die. Now, the reason why we don't live with this consciousness on an everyday level is because we don't, we're not in touch with the truth that every single mitzvah or transgression, avera, is actually an expression, expression of this very idea. I am God your God, and you shall not have any other gods besides me. In order for us to really understand that, <laughs> the Alter Rebbe started to explain to us mahus, the, the very essence, the core of the idea of Achdus Hashem, the unity of God. And he explained to us that Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Achad, Hear, O Israel, God our Lord, God is one, doesn't just mean there's no other God, there's no other authority, there's actually no other existence besides for Him. No other existence besides for Hashem. It's hard for us to really have that, us feel that way, because that's not our natural perception. We look around, we see there's a world, we think of ourselves as separate beings. We don't feel that Hashem is the one who pervades all of reality. So we've, we looked at creation as being the word of Hashem, and then we realized how the word was utterly subsumed within its speaker before he spoke it, and that's how we are, utterly subsumed within Hashem. But then last chapter, in chapter 22, we looked at the human perspective. And we said that although it's true that there is no other existence besides for Hashem, but from the human perspective, this speech that Hashem spoke is like the human speech, which is also separate from its speaker. From our perception, God's speech has become separate from him. And therefore, we feel ourselves to be independent, and that's only the beginning. The worst and most vulgar manifestation of this separateness is that there are actually people and, and things that deny him. That is what chapter 22 gave us this realization that there's an idea of separation. There, although everything is totally subsumed within Hashem, but nevertheless, there, this perspective has a truth to it. Absolutely, there is nothing else besides Hashem. But from our perspective, there has been a separation. And that's why there are forces of evil. That's why there are people who act against His will. That's why we feel ourselves to be independent beings. Now, in this chapter, chapter 23, and the next chapter, chapter 24, so starting with chapter 23, in this chapter, we are going to come to the realization why it is that every single mitzvah is an expression of, I am God, your God. This chapter is going to explain to us the essence of what a mitzvah is. Okay, so I'm going to actually read the introduction from here. 
and then we'll go to the words. Chapter 23. Hey guys in the back, could you keep it a little quieter, please? <laughs> chapter 23. In the previous chapters, the Alter Rebbe explained that from God's perspective, nothing ever is separate from him. For the divine word which creates everything is unlike a word spoken by a human being. The latter becomes separated from the speaker, while the former always remain with, remains within its source, God. It is only from the subjective viewpoint of the created beings that they are considered as separate, independent entities. They are able to regard themselves as such because they receive the divine life force which animates them by way of many tzimtzumim, those are the contractions, and through the concealment of the divine countenance, meaning the concealment of the inner, ultimate aspect of God's will. The logical corollary to this idea is that anything in which the divine will stands revealed is completely nullified before Hashem and absolutely one with Him. In this chapter, the Alter Rebbe applies this idea to Torah and mitzvot, in which Hashem's will is manifest. He demonstrates how one can unite with Hashem's will and wisdom and thereby with God Himself through the study of Torah and observance of mitzvot. So the truth is, there is nothing separate from Him. The only reason why anything or anybody feels like they're separate from Him is because of symptom. Symptom and the hiding of Hashem's countenance allows for this idea that there's a separate existence. So now, when this is, there's, symptom is not there, when it is an expression of his will, and there is no symptom. Then he is revealed. Then the absolute truth of his unity is apparent. So the product of symptom is we feel ourselves to be independent. There's a hiding of his countenance. But what if there's no hiding of his countenance? What if there's a total expression of his will? This expresses the idea that there is no other reality besides him. The only reason why we feel that there's a reality besides him is because the countenance has been hidden. But what if the countenance is not hidden? We start to express and live this truth that he is one. <laughs> In light of all that has been said above, we can better understand and more fully and clearly elucidate the statement in the Zohar that God and the Torah are entirely one. And the commentary on the Tukune Zohar that the 248 commandments are the 248 organs of the divine king. So the Zohar says like this, that means Hashem and the Torah are entirely one. And the Tikkunei Zohar, they say that the 248 mitzvahs, the commandments, are the 248 organs of the king. Just as every organ in the human body, we're gonna, we'll deal with it more fully, but I'm going to read what it says here. Just as every organ in the human body is a repository for the particular faculty of the soul that is vested in that organ, meaning the eye is the receptacle for the faculty of sight, the ear for the faculty of hearing, so too is every commandment a channel and a repository for the divine will that is vested and expressed in that particular commandment. The commandments in general represents God's will, and each individual mitzvah is an expression of that particular aspect of his will. I'm going to read this next paragraph with the intention that we're going to 
not deal with it so much now, we'll deal with it more later. It should be noted, however, that according to this analogy, the mitzvahs are no more than God's organs. An organ of the body is not one with the soul. True, any particular soul power is vested in its particular corresponding organ. They function together as one, but they remain two separate entities that have been joined together. By the same token, the mitzvot are not actually one with God. They are merely, as it were, joined to him. Yet the Torah, whose whole purpose is to explain the mitzvot, is entirely one with God, as quoted in, earlier in the Zohar. What is the meaning of this greater unity found in the Torah, and in fact in the act of Torah, and in the act of Torah study that surpasses even the unity in mitzvot and their fulfillment? This the Alter Rebbe will now go on to explain. So, in order to understand this, we're going to have to ask ourselves: What is a mitzvah? Ever thought about it? Like Hashem gave us these mitzvahs. What is the what is a mitzvah? Hashem is infinite. He he communicated to us Torah. He asked us to perform mitzvahs. Let's understand what is a mitzvah. Let's characterize it and explain it. It mystifies us. This is our relationship with Hashem. What is it? Lefi sheha mitzvahs heind primias ratzayin ha'alyayin v'chaftay ha'amiti ha'malubash b'chol ha'aylamayz alyayin v'tachtaynim l'hachayaysa. Okay? This is how the author defines a mitzvah. The mitzvahs constitute God's innermost will and His true desire which is clothed in all the upper and lower worlds, giving them life. Okay, innermost will. We've been discussing will a lot recently. So what is innermost will? Why does anybody do anything at all? Anything that you ever are going to do is always driven by will. So let's examine all the things that we do. You're not going to do anything. Welcome. Hey, Chelsea. You're not going to do anything without will. So you get in the morning, you go to work. No, no, I want to talk about that because that's, that's actually, I'm going to talk about that, but not right at this moment. She always does that, 10 steps ahead. (laughs) You have 23, yeah, okay, good. At least you're on the ball. She's on the ball. (laughs) She keeps me on my feet, let's put it that way. (laughs) Okay, stumps me all the time. Listen, I give up, (laughs) I surrender. Never give up. Okay. Okay, so why do you do anything at all, right? So you get in the car in the morning because you're going to work. Why do you turn on the car? Because you want to turn on the car. Why do you go to work? Because you want to go to the work. Anything you do is because you want to. But do you really want to? Why do you exercise? Because you want to exercise. Why do you eat healthy food? Because you want to eat healthy food. Anything that you do is driven by will. But is that your innermost will? No. There's always a will deeper than that that's making you do that. Like, why do you... Why do you go to work? Because I want to go to work. Do you really want to go to work? No. I'm going to work because I want to earn money. Do you really want to earn money? No. Why do you want to earn money? Because I want to get this thing. And at that point, that would be the innermost will. Why do you run this whole business? Why do you answer the phone calls when your customers call you? Do you really want to answer the phone? No. I don't want to answer the phone. But I'm answering the phone because I want to answer the phone. Why do I want to answer the phone? Because I want my business to prosper. Really? That's what you want in life? You want your business to prosper? No. There's a deeper will than that. You have to keep peeling all the layers of existence in order to get to the deeper innermost will. Good to have you back. So now, let's take this... This, uh, they, they give an analogy here in Lessons in Tanya, so I'll just read it. All the worlds are a product of Hashem's will. He desired that they exist, and this desire it was what brought them into being. However, this desire is but an external manifestation of his underlying internal will, the desire for mitzvot. 
Why, in fact, does God desire that the world exists? Because he desires that the mitzvot be performed. And this is possible only when there is someone to perform them and when there are objects with to perform them. To this end, God created all the worlds. This can be illustrated by the analogy of a man who travels abroad on business. Excuse me. Naturally, he travels because he wishes to do so. But this, in, his internal, meaning his ultimate desire in the journey, his underlying motive lies in the profit he expects to reap. When we probe still deeper, we find that the desire for profit, it is an external expression of even more internal desire. The desire for things which he will be able to buy with the proceeds of his business. Here lies the true object of his pleasure. It is this desire which creates the desire for profit, which leads him in turn to his desire for travel. So too in the case of the world and the mitzvot. God's external will, his desire that the world exists, is motivated by his desire for the true object of his pleasure, the mitzvot. Thus, the mitzvot represent his innermost will. It is for this, their sake that God gives life to all the worlds. Mitzvahs are Hashem's truest, deepest desire. The example that Rabbi Steinsaltz gives is building a house. So a man wants a house, right? In order to have the house, then he has to gather the building materials, he has to rip down the old house, he has to pour the cement, he has to set up the scaffolding, all those things that he does to build a house, he wants each of them. He wants to rip down the old house. He wants to pour the cement. He wants to set up scaffolding. But does he want each of those for himself? He doesn't. It's only so that at the end, he has his house. And that's how it is with mitzvot. Mitzvot are the internal will that give life to all of the worlds. Hashem created all these worlds. They're the scaffolding. They're the ripping down the house. They're the pouring down the cement. A whole world exists just for his innermost desire which is the mitzvot. Mitzvahs are Hashem's innermost desire, and that's what gives life to all of the worlds. The only reasons why the worlds exist is because Hashem, so Hashem should have this desire. That's why the Talmud tells us, it says, Hisna Hashem made a condition with the work of creation. He said to them, If Jewish people will accept the Torah, you will continue to exist. And if not, I'm going to revert you back to chaos and disorder, nothingness. This was the, yes. Wasn't that the Jews chose the Torah? The Jews chose the Torah. Hashem told them. Hashem said to the Accepted, but we we chose. We we chose. We chose to accept. He said, if you accept, if the Jews will accept the Torah, I will continue to keep you alive. I will continue to keep you in existence. But if not, I'm just going to revert you back to nothingness. That's why it says, it says, it says in Tehillim, Eretz Yara Vishakata. The earth was fearful and then it calmed down. What does it mean the earth was fearful and it calmed down? This is what it discusses in the Talmud. The earth was fearful until the Jews chose the Torah. Until they chose the Torah, the earth was fearful. When the Jews accept the Torah, the earth calmed down. Because there would be no point in keeping them the only point for all the world was for the Jews to accept the Torah and for fulfillment of the Torah. That is Hashem's innermost desire. Mitzvahs are Hashem's innermost desire. That's why Hashem gives sustenance to all the world. And if not for the Torah and mitzvot, there would be no reason for the world. This whole, this whole infrastructure of these existence is just for this tiny kernel of truth, and that is mitzvahs. There's an entire universe out there, a whole system to support this innermost desire. And that's how it is with all of us. Think of our own things that, that we do all the time. There's an innermost will that drives everything else that we do. I mean, you can peel it down to the desire to live, even though I don't know that's the ultimate desire for everything. But in many cases, that's the desire to live. So 
to, so the person who's answering the phone in order to deal with his customer, which he doesn't want to, it's just an external will. And then furthermore, he, does, he involves himself with his business, which he wants to, but he doesn't want in and of itself. And then again, for the profits, why does he want the profits? So he can have money. And why does he want money? So he can have comfort and prestige. And why does he want comfort and prestige? Because in his perception, that's what maintains his existence. That's peeling all the layers in order to get to the inner, inner core. So innermost will is the mitzvot, but for a higher reason. Why is the mitzvot? To gain consciousness of him, correct? So that you can fuse yourself with Hashem. So why so you're saying? Through the mitzvot. Like so the innermost will is mitzvot for Hashem. Right. Because through mitzvot, a physical body or an Adam can gain that consciousness that his purpose of creating the world was that I exist, I am the only being. Okay. So the innermost, the innermost, his innermost desire is the mitzvot, period. Why is that his, the Torah, the Jewish people and the mitzvot? Why is that? We don't know why. That is his innermost desire. Okay, let's hear your theory. The theory is that when he uh, created Barak, uh-huh. um, Elohim, yeah. Et Haaretz, but it's first Et Hashamayim, right. Et Haaretz. Right. Right? Right. So wh- why? Shamayim and Ares, and then later on creates human being, uh-huh. is because human being who was created in the image of God uh-huh. represents his will of using Shamayim and Ares together to gain consciousness of who he really is. So if his innermost will is mitzvot for us to perform, is for us to gain with our human body, which is physical, let's have a metaphor of that to et ha'aretz, to the shamayim, here, connect these two, to reach. So you're saying that the reason why God created man is for us to gain consciousness of the deepest desire of everything, which is true, which it's is not, true. It's not just that. It is, goes parallel with his creation. Every step of his creation goes parallel to that. Okay. Okay. I'm, go- I'm going to save this discussion for after class okay. because it's, it's on topic, but it's taking us down this other route. Okay. But let's just say that the ultimate and his innermost desire is the mitzvot. And as we said, the beginning, right in the beginning when we uh, study Torah, the first Pasuk, Rashi brings quotes over there what our sages teach us, that why this word beratious? Why, why use this word beratious in the beginning? Everything about this verse, the first verse of the Torah, puzzles us. It, it, consci- logically, it's like weird to, to start the Torah that way. But beratious stands for Bez Rashis, which is Bishvil Rashis, before the world was created for two things that are called Rashis. One is 
Bishvil Yisrael, the Jewish people, which are called racist. The Jewish people are called racist. The prophet Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu who says, Kaddish Yisrael HaShem, racist to The Jewish people are holy to God. They are the beginning of his produce. And then also the Torah in Mishlei is called racist Darko, the beginning of his way. Two things are called racist, and this is the whole reason why God created the world. Racist means the first, the foremost. Rosh. Rosh, from the same word as Rosh, okay? So let's just stop at here for now and say that what are mitzvahs? Mitzvahs are Hashem's innermost will and desire. They are His innermost will and desire. In order for us to understand what innermost will and desire is, we have to look at our own self. What is an innermost will and desire? We are constantly doing things, and everything that we do is because we want to. But then there's different levels of what we want to do. Everything we do is because we want to. We want to cook dinner. Do we want to cook dinner? Some days. Other days, no, we don't want to cook dinner. But why are we cooking dinner? There's a deeper will. Because we want our children to eat. Really? We want our children to eat? They make a big mess when they eat. Why do we want them to eat? Because we want them to be healthy and nourished. At that point, that's our innermost will, is that our, we want the best for our children. So we're peeling layer after layer of what we want to get to our innermost will. What is, Hashem has a will. He, his will, his external will is, is what sustains this world because there's an internal will to, those, to that will and that is the mitzvot. This entire infrastructure of the universe is everything that exists from the Andromeda galaxy down to the tiniest ant is all for this purpose of realizing his innermost will and that is the mitzvot. The very life and sustenance of all of the worlds is dependent upon the performance of the mitzvot by the creatures of the lower worlds, as is known, that performing a mitzvah draws godly life and sustenance in all the worlds. I'm right to be late today. <laughs> I'm sorry. When you say sorry, I, well, are you talking you. about Atsimilat? Absolutely. Andrea. Could you believe it? Could you believe it? <laughs> All of the worlds, including the highermost worlds, their life force depends on our performance of the mitzvah. <laughs> Hashem's, the only place in all of the universes that mitzvahs actually come to be performed is in this lowest world. The performance of mitzvahs is Hashem's innermost will. That's why he sustains all the universes, not just our physical world, not just the vastness of outer space and all the galaxies and everything. We're thinking of the higher and most spiritual world. They too, they only exist, all those worlds only exist for us to perform the mitzvahs. Their life force depends on the mitzvahs. What does it mean their life force depends on the mitzvahs? Okay, so let's think of a desire that you have. Your desire is... You are playing with your child. You're having really fun in this game. Why are you having fun? Why are you playing this game with your child? Your child's having fun. You're having fun. You're really enjoying the game that you're playing. All of a sudden, your baby doesn't like the game anymore. Do you like the game? No. (laughs) You don't like the game anymore. Why were you playing the game? You were playing to make the baby happy. You were enjoying it while it made the baby happy. When it no longer makes the baby happy, you are no longer interested in the game. Think about a business. A person has a business. They're vested. They're putting their interest and their energy in the business. All of a sudden, the reports come back. The business is making you lose money. Are you interested in the business anymore? Not so much. Just not interested in the business anymore. If, if you realize that all this that you're doing, the interest, the final interest wasn't working out, you lose interest. Hashem created all the worlds, the spiritual world and the physical world, 
just for the performance of the mitzvahs. And that's why all of their life force depends on our performance of the mitzvahs. Our performance of the mitzvahs means that business is good. It's also vice versa. I don't know, I don't remember what chapter we were a year ago when I just started. It, you explained how the mitzvahs is actually giving us the connection and the line between us and, and Hashem. And this is the only way we get life. And it's like not only serving Him, this is because I was just wondering why we have to. Okay, look. Because I'm, I'm giving you the class because I decided not to mention those chapters, even though it was alluded to right in the beginning. But then you do, it did it. Because yeah. if you look at the, when I was paying attention, <laughs> <laughs> because if you look, <laughs> I got old. I'm now in and out. No, no, you're always paying attention. Look, right in the beginning of the chapter. It was like literally a year ago. It was four. A year ago. Literally um, a year ago. Okay, because those were chapters four and five. Yeah. And yeah. Th- th- those yeah. are also two of my most favorite chapters in Tanya. Yeah, it was and then you see it says, it says, right in the beginning of the chapter, it says, in all, all, light of all that has been said above, we can better understand and more fully elucidate the statement in the Zohar that God, Torah and the God are entirely one. Because we can better understand and more fully elucidate because we have already explained this. Previously in chapters four and five. Amazing. I, I, I still got it. Okay. <laughs> but now in these chapters, we're explaining it at a much greater depth. And also from the other side, not from what it serves. Right, because now we have a newer perspective. In those chapters, chapters four and five, it was like us bridging the gap. Right. With our new realization, there is no gap. There is no and gap. And now it serves, it's like in a literal lower level for humanity, how it serves us. And now it's like where it comes from and what... It's literally expressing Hashem. Yes. Exactly that. that. So, so I, I will argue with you and say it's not a lower level for humanity. It's a higher level for humanity. It's how we are actually instruments of implementing Hashem's, the expression of Hashem. But yes, from that perspective, from the flip perspective, it's like, well, this is not the human perspective yeah. anymore. It's a divine perspective. Right. Nice. So okay. basically, he throws his inner will at us like how you said before, like a rope. Throws us a rope. Before it was, he was throwing us a rope. From this perspective, it's not throwing us a rope. This is his very essence being expressed. No separation. There's, at this perspective, there's no separation. This is the expression of his innermost self. But for us, the rope is there yeah. if you want. Right. To bridge the gap, you grab his rope. To bridge the gap from the finite to the infinite. At this point, it's just an expression of his innermost will. And that's what the Torah tells us. It says the Parshas Bechul Kosai in the book of Vayikra. It says, In Bechul Kosai Telechu, if you will follow my statutes, and then Hashem promises material bounty, I will give you the rains at their time. That's what it is, because it's this dependent on that. In order for material bounty to come, it's because we're performing the mitzvahs. Now, of course, it's hard for us to see sometimes the connection because you can see that it reminds you of the statement in the Talmud. It says like this, from every single day, a voice comes forth from Mount Chorib and says, the entire world is sustained because of my son, Hanina, Hanina ben Dosa. And Hanina himself is sustained from week to week on one small measure of carobs. <laughs> carobs. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa lived a very, uh, he was very poor. And yet the whole world was sustained in his merit. <laughs> but uh, we have to understand that somebody like him, the, the poverty wasn't an issue. He lived life on a different, a whole different level. But that's the point. The whole worlds are sustained only in the merit of Torah and mitzvahs. 
And that's what Hashem is telling us. If you keep, keep my statute, there will be material bounty. Okay. It follows that the performance and fulfillment of the mitzvot is the innermost garment for the innermost aspect of God's will. Okay, so this is a very cryptic and loaded sentence. We'll have to sit with it for a minute. Innermost garment. So what's an innermost garment? So an example of an, the example, the prime example of the innermost garment is the body to a soul. Because then there's other garments, and that is the jacket that you wear. Or even a, a more intimate article of clothing that you wear closer to your body, your shirt. But nevertheless, there's a difference between the way the body clothes the soul and the way a garment clothes the body. What's a regular garment that clothes the body? Are you going to say that this jacket has no other identity than being my garment? No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> it's a garment before I bought it. It anyway was a garment. And then I bought it, and now I wear it. And so what does it do? It serves to hide me, cover me up. But then there's another kind of garment, and that's an innermost garment, and that's a body. A body has no other identity than being the clothing for the soul. That's it. That's all there is to it. The body is a medium of expression for the soul. It's an innermost garment and thus it truly expresses that which it houses. A regular garment doesn't truly express the person that, I mean, there, there's an expression of the person. A regular garment expresses the person. It also hides the person. But a body does nothing except express the soul. That's all it is there, is to express. I'm not even talking about the divine soul. I'm talking about the animal soul being a person. You don't, when you look at your friend, you don't see a composite entity. Here's my friend's body, which houses their soul. You just see them as a person. The living body is an expression of the person. And what is the person? It's their soul. That is an innermost garment. Innermost garment means it's nothing other than an expression of the one who wears it. Okay? So, the performance of the mitzvah is the innermost garment. It's the utter expression of the innermost aspect of Hashem's will. Okay, so let's take that again. The inner, what's Hashem's innermost will? It's the mitzvah. When you perform a mitzvah, you are giving expression to Hashem's innermost will in the most perfect way. You are literally expressing His will without hiding it. It is just pure revelation and expression of Hashem's will. And that's why we're calling the performance of the mitzvah the innermost garment. Amidst the performance of a mitzvah is the innermost garment. That means pure revelation of expression of Hashem's innermost will. Since it is due to this performance of the mitzvot that the light and life of the world issues forth from the divine will to be clothed in them. Meaning, since God desires the world only as a vehicle for the performing of the mitzvot, as explained above, it is thus only for this reason that he animates the worlds. All of the worlds are getting their life and their energy just because of the performance of the mitzvah. Hashem's innermost desire, what he truly, truly wants, 
is the mitzvot. For that, he creates the infrastructure of the entire world, when, all the universes. When we perform a mitzvah in this world, we are now expressing his innermost will, and thus, through our expressing his innermost will, now business is good. His will is being expressed. He created this infrastructure to have this happen, and it's happening. And because it's happening, it's drawing life force to all of the worlds. Can you repeat? All the worlds get their energy from the innermost wheel. So, so the worlds get their energy from an external aspect of Hashem's will. The reason why they are in existence is because He wants them to. But why does He want them to be in existence? Because He wants mitzvahs. So within the external will that brings all the world to life and to existence is an innermost will. What is that innermost will? That is the mitzvahs. And every time a person performs a mitzvah, he acts as an innermost garment of total revelation and expression of this innermost will. And when he does that, when a person performs a mitzvah, he draws down life into all the worlds, even to the most highest worlds. The highest worlds depend on performance of the mitzvahs in our world. Okay. So let's sum up what we said until now. We said that the Torah, the Zohar calls, says that the Torah and Hashem are entirely one. The Tikkunim, the Tikkuni Zohar says that the mitzvahs are the 248 organs of the king. Meaning that the mitzvahs are the organs of Hashem, as it were. In order to ex- understand this, we need to understand what a mitzvah is. A mitzvah is the innermost aspect of Hashem's will. And the performance of the mitzvah is the innermost garment which clothes and gives expression to the innermost aspect of Hashem's will. We will understand this now by first examining what is an organ. We're calling the mitzvahs the organs of Hashem. Let's understand what an organ is. So now we're going to look at the organs of the human body. Okay. Hence the mitzvahs are figuratively described as organs of the king, Derech Mashal, by way of example. For just as the organs of the human body are a garment for its soul and are completely and utterly surrendered to it. As is evident from the fact that as soon as a person desires to stretch out his hand or foot, they obey his will immediately without any command or instruction to them and with no delay whatever, but at the very instant that it enters his will. Okay, what is an organ? Let's look at our own human experience. What are, what are our arms? What is our legs? Our arms, our legs, our body, our organs have nothing other than the will of the soul. For all practical purposes, they're like the soul itself. They are the way the soul expresses itself outward. As soon as you want to move your hand or your leg, you don't say, hey arm, I need to move. Okay. It's nothing like that. You want to and your, your soul desires and automatically your hand responds. The organs of the body have no will of their own, so much so that they are nothing other than an implement of the soul. Yes? But sometimes you 
don't want to do something, the body doesn't, but then it still does it. I mean, the soul doesn't want it to do, but the body still does it. In what way are you saying? You're saying sometimes, like you say, oh, I don't want to go to work today, but then you go to work. Is that what you're saying? That's, that's saying, a little different. That's the netzach that you were talking about, and it's going to come up. And as that's a, also the inner will. But that's the inner will. And ultimately, whatever you're doing is because of the will. Inner, inner, inner and will. Any, anything you're doing is because of a will. The fact that you're moving is an expression. Oh, oh. Has a soul, but was okay, good kill, question. Kill somebody. Right. The body still kills because the soul that we're... Thank you for asking that question, because the soul that we're talking about here is not the divine soul. We're talking about the vivifying soul, the animal soul. Just the, the human experience. So for those of us who weren't here at the first chapters of Tanya, we mentioned that we have two souls. We have a divine soul, the Nefesh Elokis, and that's the one that uh, um, is a part of Hashem. And then we have the animal soul. Animal only as the human being part of the zoological team over there, and the human being an animal as far as that goes, just like the biological soul. So in this instance, when we're talking about soul, we mean the biological soul. We're not talking about the divine soul. So as soon as the, the, the animal soul wants a cookie, <laughs> the hand moves and grabs the cookie and eats the cookie, the fact that the hand moved was a response to the desire of the soul. We're talking about the vivifying soul. The organs have no other, they have no agenda of their own. So much so that if a person would like to submerge his leg in freezing cold water, so he's going to paint his leg, he's going to take his leg, he's going to submerge it in freezing cold water, the leg doesn't say, oh, one second, I, I don't want to be in cold water. Okay, fine, fine, you want it? Okay, I'll go inside. There's nothing like that. The leg will just immediately respond to the will of the soul and go into the water. There is no agenda of its own. That's how much the organs of the body are nullified to the soul, to the vivifying soul, to the animal soul. They are literally implements of expression of the soul. That's what organs are. Human organs are expressions of the soul. Now, um, Roy, I remember one time you were like, you called, your husband's a doctor, so you asked him, what, 248 limbs? <laughs> He's like, finger bucks, okay? So... Where does this 248 limbs come from? It's listed in the Mishnah, in Ahalais, okay? The Mishnah lives, lists 248 things that are called avarim, organs, limbs, whatever you want to call them. It's not going to be the same way we're going to call limbs in English. It, there's a different meaning to these 248 limbs. And uh, these limbs are, only certain things in the body are called limbs. Your stomach is not called a limb, an organ. Your, your uh, liver is not called an organ. Your kidney is not called an organ. It's specifically 248 things. These 248 things that are considered organs to the soul are those things that, your so that directly express your soul. For example, you don't have the choice whether or not to feel hungry. You may not want to feel hungry and yet you're feeling hungry because that comes from a place within you that, you don't ha that does not have a direct relationship with your soul's will. Your hand on, the other hand, on the other hand, has a direct relationship to your soul, and therefore, it's called a limb. So when, and there's lots of parts of the hand that are called limbs, so many parts of it. It's not just one limb. The hand is made up of many limbs, according to the list that comes in the Mishnah and Ahalais. So limbs are those parts of the body that have a direct relationship to the soul's will, that obey the soul's will immediately. They are direct expression of the soul, okay? So looking at a person, 
we're not going to say they're, they're a soul and a body. We say they're a person. They're a living being. That's it. That's what they are. They're a living being. And their body is an expression of their soul. We're not talking about their, the divine soul. That's ultimately what we're hoping for. We're, we want, what we're aiming for, our, our, the goal over here is that our body should be an expression of our divine soul. But right now, we're just talking about the human soul. And the organs of the body are so fused and meshed with the soul that gives them life that they are as if the soul itself. What the body does is an expression of the soul. And the 365 The 365 correspond to the 365 negative prohibitions. But right now we're just talking about the 248 organs and those are the positive mitzvahs. Those are the positive mitzvahs. And here we're trying to explain what are organs. Organs are things that express the soul so deeply and so truly without any, without any command. They just respond to the will of the soul. That's what organs are. Now that's, let's contrast that to a very devoted, trusted servant who does everything his master wants. Even if he wouldn't have liked to, he just relinquishes his own personal desire and he does whatever his master wants. That's different than the body to the soul. Because the servant to his master, first of all, at the end of the day, they're still two separate beings. There's a servant and there's a master. That's first of all. Second of all, in order for the servant to obey the master, the master has to say, this is what I want. He has to give him a command. The soul does not have to descend to the arm or the leg and say, hey, this is what I want. As soon as it arises within the will of the person, the, the body automatically responds. There are two and divine, correct? Yeah. Because you can use your hand for a bad thing or a good thing. So, so there's two wills. Right now, we're just talking about the will of what, whatever you do what, is with a will. We're talking about a single will. Unless right now we're talking about the will of the animal soul. Within the will of the animal soul could be enclosed the will of the divine soul. And the reason why we're saying this is because, and we're kind of jumping ahead of ourselves, but the reason why we're saying this is because, okay, let's stop over here and give an introduction to what will be coming up. Anytime we perform a mitzvah, there are three aspects within ourselves that are involved. We're on page, we're on the third page right now. Anytime we perform a mitzvah, there are three aspects involved. There, let's say a person is giving food to a poor person. So what's involved in the act? There's the hand, the actual organ of the body that is performing it, actually implementing the action. There's the person's hand that gives the food to the poor person. But then how does that happen? That's because there's the animal soul. The animal soul in this context, we're not going to call it the animal soul. We'll call it with a different term. We'll call it the nefesh hachiyonis, the vivifying soul. The soul that invests itself in the blood to give it life. The reason why a person is able to give food to somebody is because they're alive. They're alive with this biological soul. And this biological soul is giving energy to the person, giving life and energy to the person to enable them to extend their hand and give food to the poor person. But then there's a third aspect involved, and that is the divine soul. And this is what we discussed in chapter 4. How does the divine soul express itself? It expresses itself. Its only means of expression 
is Torah and mitzvot. That's the only way a divine soul can express itself. So in the act of the mitzvah, the divine soul is expressing itself. So you have three components here. You have the actual organ. You have the, the arm that's giving the food. You have the, the energy behind the arm, which is the, the vivifying soul. And clothed within the energy of the vivifying soul is the divine soul. Because as we'll learn later on, that the, the divine soul has no way to act upon the body. They don't have a direct relationship. The divine soul is utterly spiritual. The body is utterly physical. There's no way for the divine soul to act on the body. It cannot act on the body without the medium of the animal soul. So when you're doing, when you are expressing a will, then you can ask, where does the will come from? It could be a good will, and it could, God forbid, a person could have an, a bad will. If it's a good will, the will is coming from the divine soul. If it's a bad will, God forbid, then it's coming from the Sitra But it's one will. Now, what is, what, kind of, what is being expressed in a physical act of a mitzvah? Three things. There's the organ that's, that's performing the mitzvah. There's the vivifying soul that's giving energy to the act. And then there's the divine soul. As we're going to learn, all these three become utterly nullified to the divine will in the performance of a mitzvah. Can you repeat these three? Yes. So there's the organ that performs the mitzvah. There is the vivifying soul that gives the life and the energy to perform the mitzvah. And then there's the divine soul that's being expressed in the act of the mitzvah. That having expression is investing itself within the animal soul to then clothe itself within the arm to perform the mitzvah. So three things. There's the organ, there's the animal soul, and there's the divine soul. I just want to ask somebody to lend me a watch because my watch is broken again today. Oh, great. Okay. Um, okay. The response of a person's organs is automatic. A person need not consciously occupy himself with activating his hand. Add to the phrase without any command or instruction when one must exert an effort in activating his faculties, meaning when he dislikes his particular task, but he forces himself to do it on the strength of logic. We're on the top of page three, Roy, and I think this answers your question about Netzach. This effort is spoken of as an internal command from one faculty to another. So he's like harnessing himself. This is, a, this is a whole conversation going on within himself. Do I want it or I don't want it? When he forces himself and he's expressing his netzach, this is something that's going on, an internal conversation. But when he's actually implementing, this is not an internal conversation. This is the will of the soul actually expressing himself. However... After netzach. Right, exactly. Whenever, exactly. When you decide to do something and you do it, you, you decide, okay, I, I, I will drink wheatgrass juice or whatever you want to say, the healthy food that you think is very healthy for you that you didn't want to eat originally. Or let's put it this way, I will do my exercise. Okay, you didn't want it, but now you're forcing yourself. You're not now commanding your legs. Okay, move, move, move. No. You want to, so your legs are. The, or, the, the organs of the body are just an implementation and expression of the soul's will. The internal conversation is pre-that. But when you do something, whatever you're doing, when your body is moving, it's a direct expression of your soul. That's what organs are. Organs are a direct expression of the soul. And that's why the 248 positive mitzvahs are considered the 248 limbs of the king, Hashem's organs. Because they are giving expression without any agenda of their own. They're just a pure and direct expression of Hashem's will. The reason why Zohar calls the mitzvahs the 248 limbs of the king 
is to convey this exact point, that just as the organs are a direct and pure expression of the soul, they act out the soul. It's not organs and soul and then soul commanding organs. No, soul is an imp- the organs are an implant to express the soul. That's what mitzvahs are. Mitzvahs are a pure and direct expression of Hashem's will. The soul. You know, will and soul, by the way, are used, they have the same expression. In the Torah, sometimes we'll say like, and if, if like, like his, if his, if it was his nefesh to do this, if it was his nefesh to do this, and then you will have translated it as if it was his will to do that. So the will is a direct expression of the soul. So what are the 248 limbs of the king? They are the 248 mitzvahs. Why are these mitzvahs called the, expression, the, the organs of the king? Because they are the direct and true expression of Hashem's innermost will, just like our limbs are our direct and true expression of our will. In Hebrew, they say it, nefesh chafetza. Like this is how the expression of something, someone wanting something for like a deeper place. So the nefesh chafetza. It's like desires. Desires. But here we're talking about the word nefesh being used on its own to express will. And it's slipping my mind right this moment. But it's, there's, there's terms in Tanakh where actually the word nefesh is used to mean will. Without nefesh chafetza, just nefesh. Like, oh. and, and, like if your soul, wa- if, if you want, nafshecha, without any saying your nefesh chafetza, it's just nefesh. Nefesh meaning will. Yeah, it's also. But will is, right, okay? But will is the, the, the deepest expression of your right. soul. And that's what mitzvahs are. Mitzvahs are Hashem's organs. So now I want to sum up everything that we said now. And we'll stop for questions. And that is that, you know what? I don't want to stop now if I have just a few more minutes because I want, to, I want to complete this thought. I need to watch in front of me. It makes me crazy when I feel like I'm going over time. Thank you so much. Oh, <laughs> I have two watches. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. Okay, so what... Kach derech mashal. Hachai shamaisa ha-mitzvahs v'kiyuman hu-bata lagamri lagabe ratin ha-alien ha-malubashpai v'nasalai mamish kagofla neshama just as the two organs of the human body are completely united with one soul and are surrendered to it so too is the life force animating the performance and the fulfillment of the mitzvahs completely surrendered to the divine will which is clothing and this life force becomes in relation to the divine will like a body to the soul okay so the divine, the, not the divine soul right now, we're literally talking about our animal soul, our vivifying soul. The energy used in the performance of the mitzvah, our animal soul's energy used in the performance of the mitzvah becomes like a body to, the, to Hashem's will. Our animal soul's energy becomes like a body to the soul. The soul meaning Hashem's will, the mitzvah. At that point, when a person does a mitzvah, our divine soul's energy is like a body to a soul. Not just that, but also Likewise, the external garment of the divine soul, meaning its faculty of action, which is external compared to the faculties of speech and thought, since it functions outside of itself, of the person fulfilling and practicing the mitzvah. 
Okay, so two things are becoming a guf, a body, to a soul in the performance of the mitzvah. One is the energy of our animal soul, and the other thing that's becoming a body to a soul is, remember we said that we have three garments of every soul? They are thought, speech, and action. What is being used in the performance of the mitzvah? The divine soul's faculty of action. So now, the divine soul's faculty of action, which in turn is investing itself within the energy of the animal soul, these two are becoming a body to the divine, to, to the divine will, to Hashem, to Hashem's will. Our animal soul's energy, our divine soul's faculty of action is becoming a body. It's, it's housing, it's expressing, it's giving direct expression to Hashem's deepest, deepest desire. This is what he wants. Everything is here for this most innermost desire of mitzvah. And it's being implemented when a person performs a mitzvah. And what's being used in the mitzvah? His, his life energy of his animal soul and also his divine soul's faculty of action. These are being employed and they're becoming like a body to a soul. The external garment of the divine soul clothes itself in the vitality of the performance of the mitzvah, and thus it too becomes like a body to a soul in relation to the divine will. Meaning, the soul's power of action becomes united with the divine will in the same way as a person's body is united with his soul and is completely surrendered to the divine will. In this way, those organs of the human body which perform the mitzvah, meaning those organs which the divine soul's faculty of action is clothed during the performance and fulfillment of the mitzvah, they too become a veritable vehicle, a merkava, a chariot, for the divine will. For example, the hand which distributes charity to the poor or performs another commandment becomes in the act of the mitzvah a chariot for the divine will. Similarly, the feet which walk for the purpose of performing a mitzvah, the mouth or the tongue which speaks words of Torah or the blade reflecting on the Torah or the fear of heaven or in the greatness of God blessed be he okay I'm not gonna be able to finish the entire thought but I'll tell you like this so remember we said there were three aspects there was the organ performing the mitzvah there was the energy of the animal soul and plus there was the faculty of the action of the divine soul they all become utterly nullified to the divine will but it's different when we're speaking about the energy of the animal soul, and likewise, when we're speaking about the faculty of action of the divine soul, these become like a body to a soul. <coughs> the organ, in contrast, also becomes nullified to Hashem's will, but we're not calling it a body to a soul, we're calling it a merkava, a chariot. Okay? What is a chariot? A chariot is something that has no will of its own. Yet, it does have a separate existence. We're going to stop at here, and we're going to have to give this fuller treatment next time because we're going to cheat ourselves out of the experience if we have to rush. So, let's just sum up what we said until now by saying that Hashem's truest desire is the mitzvahs. And for that reason, 
He created all the universes. That is his deepest, innermost desire. This is what gives light and life force to all the worlds. When, that's why the, the Zohar calls the Torah, says Hashem and his Torah are entirely one. It calls the mitzvahs the 248 organs of the king because they express his innermost desire. When we perform a mitzvah, we give expression to Hashem's innermost desire the same way that our body gives expression to our soul when it acts. When our hand moves, it expresses the will of the soul. When we do a mitzvah, we express Hashem's innermost desire. We give it form and expression like a body gives expression to the soul. And all of the life force of all of the worlds is dependent on this expression of Hashem, that He gets to express Himself. And that's the more the mitzvahs are performed, the more properly they're performed, the more life force is drawn down within all of the universes, including the higher most worlds. So, end of class for today. Uh, open for question and discussion. And uh, I just can't wait to get to the crux of the issue next class. <laughs> You're going to have to, like, buckle up, kind of, because it's going to be crazy, I'm telling you. <laughs> okay. Uh, any any uh, thoughts or inspirations to share? So, what is um, so? Not every action that we do, it's a mitzvah. Right. It's a mitzvah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the divine. So, that's my first question. Why is it like an act of kindness? Uh huh. Is not in, It's it's not one of those two hundred forty-eight. Sure, it is. An act of kindness is. It's. Um, so it would be, so what I'm trying to say, that's probably much more than 248, no? I mean, why there is a number for the mitzvot? Why do we have a finite So number? if you're saying there's so many acts of kindness, are they different? Are they, like, so, so let's say, um, you know, hospitality, and then also uh, visiting the sick, like you're saying, are these many different organs? Because they can all be expressions of, like, if, if they're all under one umbrella mitzvah, then they're part of the same organ. Um, so there is an actually, so, so my, uh, uh, trying to understand why there is a... I'm getting distracted because Susan is leaving. <laughs> Susan, thank why you for coming. Why there is a finite, why there is a mitzvah, is a finite number, you know, 248. That is kind of like... Every act that we do, all day we do, it's supposed to be, is it a mitzvah or is it not a mitzvah? That's my, that's my question. So I can answer you in short, but the long answer is going to come next week. But um, every, if, if a person lives in total cognizance of their divine mission, as did our forefathers, then everything that they do would be an expression of the divine. All day long, they'll be an expression of the divine. For, for those of us who live with a limited consciousness and we're not on that level, then it's specifically when we act out a mitzvah. But it's not just when we act out the mitzvah. If you look at the, the words over here of the Alter Rebbe, he says, Did we read this line yet? I don't think so. Yeah, we did. The legs that walked to perform the mitzvah. Even before you're actually performing the mitzvah, every step that you take to get to the mitzvah, that already is an organ of the king. That already gives expression to Hashem's innermost will. I think what she's yeah. trying yeah. to ask is, why is there a finite number to performing 
good deeds. Correct? Is that your question? Why, why do you yeah, put mostly, that? Mostly the mitzvot. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So, so but, but she did answer my question. She, she the one that we are um, conscious or cognitive of doing that mitzvah, that is actually the essence of doing the mitzvah. Exactly. That's the essence and of that it. that is infinite. That's that part to be cognizant of that aim so it's infinite and through these mitzvot you can come level by level up to the higher worlds until am i saying it correctly to get to that aim so and once you're there you're nothing <laughs> So I think so. What you're saying is is that the, the number of mitzvot are in, are finite, but the mitzvah itself is infinite. But a person who lives with this this higher awareness, like our forefathers, uh, of just totally giving expression to the divine, then everything they do is an expression of the divine. We'll exp- we'll speak about the forefathers being the merkava, the chariot, next time, and we will. Examine that even when they slept, they were a chariot. The idea of them being a chariot is huge, and that's why I didn't want to. I, I, that's that's the thing with you guys that we just always end up for discussing ahead because you know what's coming up. But that's exactly it. So if a person lives with that consciousness, everything they do is an expression of the divine. It, it's a, it's an expression of the innermost will of Hashem. So are you saying that? So no. So what I'm saying is, the mitzvahs that let's say, let's say the Rambam, we everybody agrees that there's 613 mitzvahs. What those 613 mitzvahs are? is a discussion. Like the Rambam classifies certain mitzvahs as being part of the 613 mitzvahs, while the, the Sefer HaChinuch will describe not, that he will have differences on what cons- constitutes the 613 mitzvahs. The Rambam, let's say, when he classifies the 613 mitzvahs, he will say, this, right now we're describing positive mitzvah number, number this, and included in this mitzvah is all these other mitzvahs. All those mitzvahs will fall under the same category of one single mitzvah. They're all expression, I'm, I can't think of an example right this minute, but they're all an expression of this particular one mitzvah. So there's 613 mitzvahs, each of those mitzvahs might comprise of like <coughs> branch mitzvahs. They're all an expression really of just this one mitzvah. But that one mitzvah, any mitzvah that we do is an act of infinity. A mitzvah is an expression of Hashem's inner will. When we are expressing Hashem's inner will, Hashem is enclosed in that mitzvah, Hashem being infinite. A mitzvah itself is infinite. And to think what a mitzvah is is crazy because it's the rope that Hashem throws us from the perspective of chapters 4 and 5. It's the rope that Hashem sends us to bridge the gap from the finite to the infinite. Because we're, we're finite. How are we able to... Whatever we're going to do... It's our limited amount of steps. If, if we have a limited amount of steps that we have created to reach the infinite, it's not infinite. The only reason why we can do a mitzvah is because Hashem threw us a rope from His infinity and said, do this and you connect to me. And that's why a mitzvah is infinite. And it, mitzvah is expression of the infinite Hashem. And that mitzvah itself, any mitzvah it is, 
is completely infinite. Yes. And you know, we say after certain times of talking, can you hear Ratzon? Yeah. And this is God's will. We say, may, the, may it be the will of Hashem. Yeah. Can you hear Ratzon? Can Amen. Can you hear Ratzon? We, we say that. Yeah, we say, we say, may this be the will of Hashem. Right, all the time we say that. So, you're giving a deeper meaning to that generally used expression. Because, you, like you say, like, you give somebody a blessing, and then the person answers like, Amen, may that be the will of Hashem. We're just saying, like, may, may it be Hashem's will. But you're actually saying that, may this express Hashem's innermost desire, may it give expression to Hashem's infinite will. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I'm saying that, um, like, yeah, when someone um, says something, gives a good wish to someone, yeah. sometimes they'll either say, Amen, or, Can you hear Ratzon? Can you hear Ratzon? A lot of times they say, Amen, Can you hear Ratzon? Amen, may it be the Hashem's Exactly, will. exactly, but, yeah, we're talking about... But in that constance that you're using it, you're saying, may this very act be an expression of Hashem's deepest desire. Right. Now, I have something kind of... Um, interestingly gory to express. Okay. Sorry. But I just That's learned good. it recently. Yeah. And um, I heard that this is true what happened in the days of Moshe, Abraham, um, you know, those days way back. And maybe tell me if that's true or not by your learnings. But I heard, you know, because you're talking about the will of God, the will of a soul, the will of a person. Mm -hmm. And then it brought to mind what I learned last week. Someone told me that years ago for pleasure, They used to be, inter people would be entertained by having certain men go out like an arena, mm -hmm. the time of what I said, and put them with the most ferocious, horrible animals, and they would be purposely mm -hmm. put the man with the ferocious animal and Watch make them fight, them fight and then ha! Yeah, yeah, that was entertainment for you. Well, no, I said that to the person. I said, are you talking about the fighting? He said, no. No, they didn't. It goes deeper than that. They did it with a person, and a, like a lion yeah. or a tiger. And they, it was like, you paid to see a movie or whatever, or the Hollywood Bowl. I don't know if they paid, but it was their entertainment to watch the animal and the person fight it out. And then I said, Does the per did the person always die? Did the person always die? I, I would imagine. Horrible. Right? Yes, there was that form of so you, that, uh, Wait, is that, did that, people always, they would always die then, right? Oh, I don't know. Is but, that, that's like, But you're referencing in the days of Moshe or whatever. Yeah, those but days. Nothing, yeah, but it's not, nothing to do with Moshe. <laughs> you're saying in that no, no, era no. of history, No, no, but then yes. in that time of history, right. yes, that's did true. they do that? They did. Oh, I don't think in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. Jewish people didn't do that. If Jewish people did that, then they were bad people. That's against the Torah, There you, Okay, that's also what I think I heard, and I'm, I didn't uh, add that to this, what I'm saying. Yeah, It's absolutely. the bad people Bad people that did that. that. I, I it wasn't the, the Yehudim, it was no. the Goyim. Yeah, Goyim did that. Then, but what occurred, I mean, when they did that? What, what did the good people... I mean, well, that was for one thing, I hope they didn't. Allowed. I hope that, no, it's not allowed. It's absolutely forbidden. It's forbidden by the no, seven Noah. That's not Kane Nehirat's son, but human beings. <laughs> <laughs> that. Right, that's not Kane Nehirat's son. No. no. <laughs> so 
so in other words, there are good and bad people in the world. That's right. But I believe Hashem borns everybody good, and there's a thing called free will. Yeah, so so actually, I'm just wondering if I should keep it on or... Oh, one second. Let me just... Actually, I mean, 